Here we are, and welcome to the first Sunday after our pastor has been called to a new field of service, and we start talking about what kind of pastor we're going to hire, how she will preach, how he will, how he will pastor, how he or she will be an administrator. And I hope you're saying, no way, no way we start thinking about that. In the first place, I used a horrible word. I said, what kind of person we will hire? The church doesn't hire ministers. The church calls minister. When I think of hiring, I think of our plumber in Guthrie, who we use more often than we would have liked to, of course, like all of us do. He hired helpers to work with him. Mark would drive up his truck. He and the helper would get out. He would walk up, see the problem, send his helper out to get the stuff. Send his helper to dig a hole. Send his helper to do this or that. We sometimes have that misconception that, okay, now during this interim time, we're going to have to pick up the slack. It's all hands on deck. We're going to have to do a little work. We better hurry up so we can get somebody to hire and do all that stuff for us. A person that my plumber hired would be someone he stood over and said, now, that's not exactly straight what you're doing there. And, and I don't like what you've done here. And we micromanage that person, and they don't last long. Mark went through more plumber's helpers than I can imagine. I couldn't keep up with their names. We're here today to look at what kind of church we want to be. It's foolish for us to talk about what kind of pastor we want. The important thing for all of us to have in mind, not only today, but every day we're a part of a church, is what kind of church do I want to be? It's my understanding from my growing up years that we are the body of Christ. We are a community of people who are seeking to be God's people where we live out our lives. So the emphasis for us is what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of Christian do I want to be? John Jay offered a good beginning to today's sermon with his last words last week. You may remember he quoted Julian of Norwich, a late 14th and early 15th century Christian mystic and theologian who about 1395 wrote a book called Revelations of Divine Love. It's the first book written in the English language that was written by a female. She said, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Her quote reminds me of another quote by another uh, saintly woman, St. Teresa of Avila, Spanish mission, uh, Spanish mystic and nun and author, who lived in 16th century Spain and offered us these good words. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. I hear these two ladies telling us, be patient. Be full of hope. Listen carefully to God. Last June at our Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's uh, General Assembly, there was a a group that was uh, 
the governing board adopted uh, called something called the Illumination Project that a group of leaders worked on. And the essence of that project was to guide the process of discernment to strengthen unity and cooperation in individual churches and among churches in our fellowship. This process of discernment is especially helpful with churches in transition or churches experiencing conflict, which is every church on the face of the earth. The project suggests three essential elements for discernment, three vital things to keep in mind when we're in a discernment process. First, don't act hastily. Don't get in a rush. Everything's not black and white. Take time to pray and try to discern what God is leading us to do. I have a friend who just this last week told me about a welcome mat his wife had purchased. And he said, well, that's nice. She said, yeah, it's not what I wanted, but it was on sale and I thought I should get it. Take your time. Don't rush. The second thing they suggest is stay and get along. We don't have to agree with everything. We don't need to be on the same page on everything. They suggest this discernment process involves our commitment to staying and getting along. You don't have to agree with everything the pastor says. I've, I've been in church for 69 years. I was born on a Sunday. I didn't go that Sunday, but the next Sunday and most others since then, <laughs> most since then, I've been in church. And I've not agreed with everything the pastor said. And for 40 years of that, I was pastor. Uh, I, would, I would look back and say, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I, I shouldn't have done that. And most pastors realize that. And we need to realize that we're talking about fa- human beings that make mistakes, that don't always do not only what we want them to do, but what they really want to do. Don't act hastily. Stay and get along. And then their third thing is interesting. You might want to look at Scripture. Read the book of Acts, the story of the early church, giving special attention to Acts chapters 10 through 15, and also look at Colossians 3. They also suggest, and I I would add additionally, it's helpful to accept that it's impossible to learn what you think you already know. It's impossible to accept the fact that you cannot learn what you already know. Have you ever been wrong about something? About a person or a circumstance? Have you ever been wrong about that? I admire a minister who retired probably 20 years ago, and he wrote a book entitled Everything I've Learned Since I Thought I Knew It All. It's impossible to learn what you think you already know. Okay, the Illumination Project said look at at Colossians chapter 3, and let's do that. It's a good place to begin. It's a good time of discernment for Spring Creek Baptist Church, so let's look at that text. First four verses, which were not read for us, just a quick comment about them if you have your Bibles open and are looking at us, at those verses. Those four verses call us to have a firm purpose that reflects the purposes of Jesus Christ. Not our purposes, not my purpose, not somebody else's. The purposes of Jesus Christ. The second thing I would say about that is when it talks about seek the things above, it's not 
talking about focusing on the sweet by and by. He's not talking about escaping where we are and thinking about what life's going to be on streets of gold and living in mansions, but rather bringing God's purpose to things at hand. It doesn't talk about sweet by and by. It's talking about bringing God's purposes to things at hand. Now to verses 5 through 17, which to me is evangelism at its best. Being church, being the body of Christ, being a community of what it means to follow Christ can be a challenge. We all know that. That's not new information. It's made more challenging by the things in verses 5 through 9. And if you've opened it up and are looking at those verses now, you'll notice that the things that make being church challenging are not things like not enough money, not enough people, not right enough doctrine. doesn't talk about that. And Jesus never talks about that. But boy, don't we focus on that. Don't we focus that as the most important thing in our church life. Listen carefully, if you will, to meetings. Not enough money, not enough people, not right enough doctrine. The list, as you read through it, as Eileen read for us a few, a few moments ago, includes many of the things that we regularly rail against, sexual sins. But it also includes the sin that many of us wink at, greed, which this particular text calls idolatry. But look at the things that Paul mentions here that makes being church especially difficult. The list includes anger, wrath, malice, slander, verbal abuse, and telling lies to one another, which some might include gossip. It's hard to be church. It's hard to be the body of Christ. It's hard to be a people, a community of faith, living out what it means to be and follow Christ. When there's dissension, despair, fear, jealousy, mistrust, impatience, and chaos. Such attitudes are counterproductive. Such attitudes are toxic. And such attitudes are unattractive and uninviting to people outside the Christian church. In verse 11, we read about the kind of renewal that is characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul says in that verse, There is no longer Greek or Jew, no longer circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. In light of that, might we now need to look differently at some people we hold at a distance or worse, perhaps some of the people we don't accept or respect for whatever reason. Contemporary English version renders that verse in this way. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Illumination Project said consider in this time of discernment chapters 10 through 15 of Acts. And so I started reading through that and I came to Acts 11 there in the story of the early church. God is trying to teach Simon Peter something radical and new. Has God ever tried to teach you anything? Time of confession. It's really hard for God to do that with me because I have so many preconceived notions and ideas. It's really hard 
for me to get the point oftentimes. And apparently that's what's happening maybe with Simon Peter. Peter tells about his struggle and how hard it was for him to accept someone and something formerly unacceptable, even forbidden. But he comes to the point when he says, you know, I've thought about this, I've waited this way, I've looked at it that way, I've talked to other people. I finally come to the place where I had to ask myself, and there it is in chapter 11. He said, who is I that I could hinder God? Who is I that I could hinder God? That verse, like so many verses in Scripture, really bothers the tar out of me. Because it causes me not to look at Simon Peter, but moi. Who am I that I should hinder God? That verse causes me to ask myself, do my words and behavior in the building we call church or in the world where we go about being church, do my words and actions hinder God? And it causes me to ask myself, in light of the dialogue between God and Peter, who am I not accepting? Because I think I have them figured out, and I think I fully have God figured out, and so I can arrogantly and proudly and foolishly pronounce judgment on them. Jonathan Merritt, who is a Southern Baptist award-winning writer on religion, culture, and politics, at least he is or was yesterday. The things he writes may cause me to have to say he's a former Southern Baptist journalist and uh, uh, culture and political expert. He's been voted by Out, uh, Outreach Magazine as one of 30 young influential in- influencers reshaping Christian leadership today. Last week, he wrote about Generation Z. You may have read it. I didn't know there was a Generation Z, but there is. Those who were born in the early 1990s to the mid-2000s, 2000 to 2005, are Generation Z. They are people who, like Gen Xers, are finding it easy to walk away from church. He writes this about the church's relationship to Generation Z, a vital part of the future of the church. Instead of testimonies about lives changed through Christ, their question would be why lives being lived by Christians aren't more changed, but are instead marked by judgmentalism, hypocrisy, and intolerance. Harsh words. But from listening to and looking at the things being said by that generation, Gen X, my generation, Those words should haunt us until we look at the kind of Christian, the kind of church that we want to be. You and I are called as Christ's followers to live out these attitudes and actions listed in 12 through 17 of Colossians 3. And here's where the sermon gets much more easy to talk about. Here again, these words from those verses. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, what are you supposed to do? Forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you also must forgive. Above all else, above all else, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and instruct one another in all wisdom, with gratitude. In your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Being God's beloved children is likely a challenge, but might it also be fulfilling and energizing and enriching and peaceful and joyful and fun? And might it also attract others to this same life of following Jesus Christ? When we focus not on ourselves and what we want, but on the needs of others. This happens when we choose to be, as Paul said, compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient, and when we make allowances for each other's faults and forgive one another. The byproduct, the byproduct of this kind of life is that it focuses on others and draws others to walk with us, with Christ. I mentioned in the beginning about Teresa of Avila and her quote about relaxing, be patient, have hope. She also said, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands, no feet, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion sees the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands which he is using to bless all the world. What kind of church do I want? Well, we largely answer that by the kind of life we live out. I invite you to join me in the response in our hymnal. It's on page 257, and we'll read the second part called the response. And I will lead that as soon as I get a hymnal. I'm sure it's not my fault. Someone else should have had this up here. Just saying. Join me. I'll read the lighter print. You read the bold print together, please. Sing each other's songs. The psalmist called them new songs. Lift each other's loads. Jesus called them daily crosses. Embrace each other's weaknesses. Weaknesses. The Savior will count them as strength.
Share each other's bread. The hungry will call it a miracle. Community will see us through. And amen.